What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Niger is in the spotlight. Actually, Chad. And uh, you'll recall a few days ago, I was talking about how Donald Trump noticed, no doubt, this is speculation on my part, but I think well-founded speculation. Donald Trump noticed that his political party, the Republicans, had taken the death of four Americans in Libya, specifically at the Benghazi CIA station, uh, that, that his party had taken the deaths of these four Americans in Libya and exploited it for political gain in a huge way. I mean, in a way that arguably, had they not done that, and of course, I think it was Trey Gowdy as one of the, one of those one of those Republicans pointed out, yeah, we're doing this to win elections. You know, it's, it's like you know we're going to take down Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, not only did they do that, but they did it successfully. And so Trump is looking at this, going, okay, so you know there was a screw up while while President Obama was in office and Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, and screw ups happen, and Americans died, and Americans do die when screw ups happen sometimes. And the Republicans used that to basically destroy the Democratic candidate, Hillary Clinton. So Trump is thinking the Democrats could use the death of four soldiers in Niger to destroy me, particularly since it appears that the soldiers were killed in Niger just as the forces of the next country over, Chad, we're pulling out of Niger. The Chadian military was helping us in the war against Al-Qaeda in, in Niger. And then Trump put them on the, on, the, on, the, on the band list, on the Muslim band list. And, and the, apparently the reason he did it was because Chad didn't provide the administration with a passport fast enough, a sample passport, so the administration could determine that they've got good security. And they couldn't do that because they were out of the paper that they used to make the passports. So everybody in Chad has to wait a month or so to get their passports. They missed that little window. And so Chad ended up on this list. Chad, the one country in, in the region that, has been, that doesn't have an Al-Qaeda problem, by and large, and has been helping in Niger to fight the Al-Qaeda problem. So Chad pulls out of Niger. 
And about the same time, four U.S. soldiers are killed. Surprise, surprise. And Trump is just dancing. You know, he's, he's, tried, he's tried to do everything he can to avoid any kind of a discussion of this, and, uh, which is not hard to understand why. So, anyhow. I can reopen the NeoScreener? Okay, great. Um, so, th this is, you know, I, I pointed this out, I think it was on Monday on this program, and uh, Rachel uh, Maddow last night uh, really blew this out. And it's, it's a meme that's being picked up by Democrats all across the country. Is what the hell happened? Why are four Americans dead? And it looks like it's because the Trump administration, over the objections of both the Pentagon and the State Department, put Chad on the Muslim ban list. And that offended the Chadian government, and they said, screw it. We're not going to help the United States in uh, Niger anymore. You know, if, if you're not going to let our people, uh, you know, even visit the United States, why should we help you? And so they pulled out of Niger. And I, the, the whole thing was like, you know, stupid mistake, compounding stupid mistake on the part of the Trump people. So it's going to be real interesting to see where this all goes. By the way, it's our Anything Goes Day, whatever you'd like to discuss today. I have a lot of things on my list. And, and tomorrow, or Saturday night, because some people may be listening to this on Saturday, but, you know, it's Saturday night, the uh, 21st of October. I will be in New York City, in Manhattan, at the Cherry Lane Theater. And uh, Scott Carter, I talked about this a couple days ago. Scott Carter has uh, written this brilliant play. It's titled, The Gospel According to Thomas Jefferson, Charles Dickens, and Count Leo Tolstoy, Discord. Now, the reason he chose those three is because each one of them wrote their own gospel, right? their own version of the Christian, the Christian end of the Bible. Well, Tolstoy, Dickens, and, and Jefferson. I've seen this play once before. It's absolutely fascinating. And after the play, Scott Carter and I are going to sit. Scott, Scott is, is also the executive producer of The Bill Maher Show. Scott and I are going to sit on st stage and, and discuss it and talk about what's, what's in the play and what, what do you think about it, all that kind of stuff. And uh, there are apparently still a couple of tickets left. And in fact, we're giving two tickets away. If you are in New York City and you want to come to this, to this gig Saturday night, uh, the, Saturday, October 21st, if you want to come to this, uh, just call us, 202-808-9925. The first person from New York City who actually can attend the play, who calls in, uh, will get the tickets to you. So just FYI. I have not noticed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So there's that going on. The Republicans, or apparently the, the, the Trump slash Pence Republicans, have a, a, a new campaign, End Birth Control for American Women. No, not making this up. This is a, a leaked memo. I mean, this, you know, this what you're seeing here, in my opinion, is Mike Pence's influence on the on the on the Republican ticket on this this administration. A leaked memo. This from Aaron Gloria Gloria Ryan over at Daily Beast. A leaked memo shows that Team Trump wants American women to go back to relying on abstinence or the rhythm method to prevent pregnancy. 
This is amazing. This is the the list was obtained by Crooked Media. That's the group that uh, uh, syndicates the podcasts like Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. And the memo advises there should be cuts to the U.S. government's Gender and Let Girls Learn initiative. And then the real show starts when they get into birth control. The, the Trump administration, if the Trump administration got its way, the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, budget for family planning would be slashed with, quote, no other family planning program for girls except fertility awareness methods, end of quote. Now, if you're Catholic, you probably know, or if you went to Catholic school, you know what fertility awareness means. It means the rhythm method. Knowing when, it, it, first of all, it puts all the responsibility on women. You must know when you are fertile. I remember when a, a friend of mine, we were down in Bogota, Colombia, and a friend of mine uh, and I spoke to the Archbishop of Bogota, as I recall. And he's sitting on his throne in the headquarters of the Catholic Church there in Bogota. And she asked him to put a special dispensation for pharmacists so that they wouldn't go to hell if they passed out birth control pills. And, and this, this guy starts pounding his fist on his throne and pointing at me. He wouldn't talk to my friend Elizabeth because uh, she was a woman. And, and pointing at me and screaming, you know, women know when they're pregnant. This is all their fault. Original sin came into the world through Eve, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and Title 10 funding, Title, Title 10 funding, which helps poor women afford contraception, would be slashed in half if Team Trump gets its way. Money would be diverted from sex education that emphasizes risk reduction. In other words, don't get AIDS, use condoms, things like that. And move this toward instead sexual risk avoidance, which is another term for abstinence-only education. So fertility awareness. One quarter of people who use fertility awareness end up getting pregnant. In fact, uh, in her article, Aaron Ryan, Aaron Gloria Ryan uh, writes, you know, if you had a car that 25% of the time crashed and everybody died or required hospitalization at least to make the metaphor of the parallel to pregnancy, you know, really solid, would you ever use that car one quarter of the time you end up in the hospital? Whereas with an IUD, what are the odds of an unintended pregnancy? 0.01%, one one hundredth of 1%. But science and Trump? No. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Or really, we should say science and Pence, really? No. They just wanna they just wanna oppress women. And it just comes right down to that. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. Yeah, this, this article by Erin uh, Gloria Ryan on w- women's health, Trump is even dumber than we thought, is just astonishing. Uh, it, it goes on to point out that teen pregnancy in the U.S. just reached its lowest point since records were kept, were initially kept, which has to be like in the 50s or 60s or something like that. And so have abortion rates. So teen pregnancy rates and abortion rates in the United States are at the lowest they have ever been in recorded history. Which means that programs like Title X are actually working. Passing out birth control to women who want it is actually reducing unwanted pregnancies and thus reducing abortions and reducing teen pregnancies. But Trump wants to reverse all that because he knows best, him and Pence, they know what's best for women, right? 
I mean, Pence wanted to have it so that if you lived in Indiana and you were a woman and you had a miscarriage, you had to report yourself to the police and have a funeral. It's, it's mind-boggling. Politico has a fascinating piece. This is from a couple of days ago, and I'm just kind of finally getting to it. But it's, I, I, in, in fact, I, I printed it out two days ago, and I thought, uh, let's see how this ages, right? Well, it's aged really well. Uh, this report, uh, it's titled, It's a Trap. Report reveals Republicans will quickly turn on Trump after passing tax cuts. It's by Noor El-Sibai, S-I-B-A-I, A-L-S-A-B-A-I. And uh, Noor, I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman, Noor is quoting uh, Politico's Matt Latimer as basically saying what Gary Cohn said last month. Gary Cohn is the guy who used to run Goldman Sachs who now is running Trump's economic policy, right? And when Cohn was asked after Charlottesville, and Cohn was really rattled by this because not only, I mean, Cohn is Jewish, and not only were these attacks in Charlottesville anti-person anti, uh, anti of color, anti-minorities, they were also anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. And Cohn, you know, made it clear he was rattled by that. And so they said, you know, are you going to leave the administration? And he said, no, because he was so excited about the, quote, opportunity to, quote, rewrite the tax code. So get this, the billionaires who are supporting this, the billionaires who own the Republican Party, the billionaires who are controlling Trump to a large extent, are very happy that he wants to do so-called tax reform. Now, the Senate just passed this last night, uh, and, and it's pretty shocking, you know, what they passed. $473 billion in cuts to Medicare, $1 trillion in cuts to Medicaid over the next decade. Get this straight, $473 billion in Medicare cuts, a trillion dollars in Medicaid cuts. I'm not seeing that being reported in the corporate media, maybe because they don't like to offend Republicans because they want to make sure that the Republicans will come on their Sunday shows and they'll be able to go along with the charade. But basically, all this, all this legislation did that the Senate passed yesterday is raise the debt ceiling so they can run up our debt for another one and a half trillion dollars. And nobody's quoting it as raising the debt ceiling either, which is bizarre. And it slashes funding for Medicare, Medicaid. You know, it's it, uh, to, to, to make way for a trillion and a half dollars or one trillion four hundred seventy three billion dollars in tax cuts for billionaires. I mean, that's what this is all about. And so this, this article in, in, um, in Raw Story and the, and the one in Politico that inspired it are basically suggesting that this is all the billionaires care about. I mean, there's some, you know, who are still on the anti-regulation bandwagon. Okay, Trump stopped the so-called war on coal. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, let China outstrip us hugely, right? China installed just about twice as much solar as the United States last year. It's mind-boggling what they're, what they're doing. You know, China is so far ahead of the game. But Trump is like, yeah, nah, we're, we're just going to, you know. So you've got some billionaires who are still, you know, the fossil fuel billionaires who are still going to be happy with him. But basically, the GOP as a whole, if Trump succeeds in passing significant tax cuts for billionaires 
and their friends. Then after he passes them, that's when the Republican Party is going to turn on him. This is the prediction. And I'm, I'm not sure it's not right. Like I said, I've been, I've been chewing on this for two days and looking at what Republicans are saying. And more and more establishment Republicans are now coming out and saying, yep, Bob Corker is right. This guy is not serious. He's not stable. He's not rational. And we need him to sign a tax cut for our billionaire owners. And once that tax cut is signed, hey, Robert Mueller, let's talk. The Republicans are saying in quiet, in the back rooms, or so we hear. Now, whether or not this is the case, I don't know. But if the only imperative that is the absolute consensus imperative among the billionaires who own the Republican Party is that they have to have their tax cut, Donald Trump, by delivering that, may be signing his own political death warrant. And if that's the case, it's going to get real interesting. On the other hand, if Trump fails to pass the tax reform, then the question becomes, will they cut their losses by getting rid of Trump and figure, hey, we can do it with Pence because he's a slicker politician? Or will they say, okay, we're going to give Trump another chance? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. What do you think? Pick up your calls, Evan. Hey, Tom Harbin here with the Tom Harbin Program. You know I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Super Beets. I'm drinking Super Beets, circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy, amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls Beets fitness in a glass. With Super Beets, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Super Beets and feel results in as little as 20 minutes guaranteed of your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry. I like them both. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer. You can try Super Beats, maybe the early fall here. Try Super Beats for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results. Plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results. Guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to TomsBeats.com. That's TomsBeats.com. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program. The Wall of Shame. I love this. Uh, uh, it's from Americans for Tax Fairness. It's a graphic. That I, I think people generally refer to them as Facebook graphics, although this one I saw on Twitter. Uh, the Wall of Shame. These 51 Republican senators who voted to cut Medicare, Medicaid, and education to give trillions in tax cuts to the 1% while raising taxes on the middle class. And they just give a list of, of the senators who voted to cut your Medicare, to cut your Medicaid, to cut education for your kids, and to raise your taxes. And that would be Lamar Alexander, Republican of Tennessee, John Barrasso, Republican of Wyoming, Roy Blunt, Republican of Missouri, John Boozman, Republican of Arkansas, Richard Burr. I'm, I'm just going to go through the names. Richard Burr, Shelley Morcapito, Bill Cassidy, Thad Cochran, Susan Collins. If you hear any of these names, you may want to call these senators and let them know what you think about their voting to slash Medicare, Medicaid, and education in order to pay for tax cuts for billionaires. Susan Collins, Bob Corker, John Cornyn, Tom Cotton, Mike Crapo, uh, Ted Cruz, Steve Daines, Michael Enzi, Joni Ernst, 
Deb Fisher, Jeff Blake, Corey Gardner, Lindsey Graham, Chuck Grassley, Orrin Hatch, Dean Heller, John Hoven, uh, James Inhofe, Johnny Isaacson, Ron Johnson, John Kennedy, bizarre name for a Republican, James Lankford, Mike Lee, John McCain, Mitch McConnell, Jerry Moran, Lisa Murkowski, David Perdue, Rob Portman, James Risch, Pat Roberts, Mike Rounds, Marco Rubio, Ben Sash, Tim Scott, Richard Shelby, Luther Strange, Dan Sullivan, John Thune, Tom Tillis, Pat Toomey, Roger Weicker, and Todd Young. All Republicans, 51 Republicans in the United States Senate who voted to, uh, to screw us all. At the same time that China, a consistent leader in solar production, uh, this by Greg Beach, uh, is having another banner year with 25 gigawatts. That's 25 billion watts of solar energy being installed in June and July alone. Right, a megawatts, a million watts, a gigawatts, a billion watts, 25 billion watts. Actually, they and China is capable of installing over 50 gigawatts of solar energy by the end of 2017. They're up to 42 gigawatts, billion watts right now. President Xi. He said, any harm we inflict on nature will eventually return to haunt us. This is a reality we have to face. When the Chinese Communist Party does a better job of telling truth to its people than the Republican Party does, you know we've got a problem in this country. It's a real problem. Anyhow, Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind there? And just uh, four quick then and nows to illustrate how this country has changed over a lifetime. Like 69 years ago, a president talking about economic morality could talk about driving the money changers from the temple, and everyone knew what he was talking about. Yes. Today, the same church that provided the moral grounding for Theodore Roosevelt and Eleanor and Franklin or Roosevelt uh, is having trouble finding members. Back in the 50s, kids watching TV shows saw the stagecoach robber steal money from the Wells Fargo customers. Today, you hear that Wells Fargo has been stealing from its customers instead, but no one actually calls it stealing because it doesn't count as embezzlement when the bank does it. Right. Back then, kids and dogs were free-range, so they are subject to uh, natural selection or socialization. But uh, today, if a parent or owner of a kid or a dog uh, you know, if they're off their charges found wandering without a leash, they can be jailed or fined. And back then, a self-confessed sex offender couldn't win an election. But today, a self-confessed sex offender still can't win an election. He has to be appointed by a college as valid as Trump University. Right, the Electoral College in this case. Excellent, excellent collection, Mike. Thanks a lot for that. Great, well done. Jim. In Lombard, Illinois. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I got a few questions for you. Uh, uh, now, which uh, the first question I have for you is: Which senator on the AP News said something about shoes that don't fit? Did you hear that? Uh, no, I didn't. I got. I got to find out who yeah. that senator is. I'm sorry, Jim. Now, now the next question I have is: Which senators and congressmen should I send letters to so that my words are known in the Senate and the Congress? Um, as many as possible, Jim. And okay. if you want them okay. to get them then quickly, the you send them to the, have... their local office rather than their D.C. office, because any mail that goes to anybody in Congress in D.C. takes about a month and a half because it has to go through an anthrax filtering system. Okay, it takes a month. Yeah, 
So send it to their, but if you send it to their local offices, to their in-state offices, they get them right away. The next, the next question I have is, should I send letters to the United Nations? I doubt it. I don't think it's No, you don't think so? I don't think it would produce any, it wouldn't, okay, okay, wouldn't be worth the investment in time. That's about all, that's about all the questions I had. I, I, um, and also, I have a letter for Senator McCain. And 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 I'm so just send it to him, right? Yeah, yeah. Send it, just send it to his, you know, one of his Arizona offices. They're all. If you go to McCain.Senate.gov, you can find, you know, a list of all his offices. So, and would you suggest? Would you suggest? I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat, and would you suggest? I'm I'm saying some things that might offend Republicans. Do you think I should send them to Republicans or just Democrats? I think it's entirely possible to craft a letter to a Republican in a way that doesn't offend, but does get your message across. And I would encourage you to do that. Okay. Jim, I got to move along, but thanks for the call. Bill in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Bill? Hey, Tom. Hey, what's yeah, up? I got one real simple idea. Okay. I think it'd be lovely if on Sunday uh, the NFL players took a knee for the four soldiers killed in Niger. Oh, yeah. Although that dilutes their protest against racist policing, which is really what this is all about. And, uh, and you, I suspect. You, you don't think what happened with the, the phone call was a little bit racist? Uh, you mean uh, Trump calling Mrs. Johnson? Trump calling, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the mother of uh, Le, David Johnson? David I, Johnson. You know. I don't know, Bill. I, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm operating on an assumption given his history, that, that Donald Trump, if he's not a racist, he's per- perfectly willing to exploit racism for political gain. I mean, that's essentially how he became president. Um, but I'm inclined to think that that phone call is more uh, evidence that he is not all that smart. He is totally self-absorbed. He can only experience the world through the lens of his own um, needs and desires, uh, you know, rather than empathizing with anybody else's. And, uh, you know, just, it just kind of confirms my opinion of him. I, I think he just, he, he, I don't think he intended to call up this woman and offend her or hurt her. I mean, that would be political suicide. It would be stupid to do that. And he doesn't, he doesn't know how to empathize. I mean, what, that's uh, correct. what, uh, um, Kelly said that the point he was making was that when you do sign up, you understand what the, the consequences can be. Right. And there's a way to say that where it's not offensive. But I don't think Donald Trump can execute that statement. I'm sure he, when he said he knew what he was signing up for, he didn't. He came off more flippant than. Yeah, and he's never been in the military, and he's never had a family member die in the military, and he has no no sense of you know how how tight that community is, what the standards and norms and protocols of that community are, or, or frankly, I don't I don't think he has any sense of what the average American, you know, what the standards and protocols and norms are for simply being an average American citizen. Are. Or a human being. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, or a decent human being anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. Bill, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Ronald in Land Lakes, Florida. Hey, Ronald, what's on your mind today? Uh, Tom, I wanted to talk about this uh, class warfare thing, the, the rich against the middle class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because uh, I know that the majority of the environments that, most of us worked in, including your dad, that winded up with asbestos, um, winded up in conditions that either gave us some kind of uh, medical 
uh, disease that made us sick or took away our lifestyle, and we worked these jobs, and all these people like Warren Buffett and whatever became, you know, multimillionaires, so forth and so on. We gave our all, including getting sick, yet it seems like none of that has mattered to the people that at the top had benefited from all our work. And it never has. Uh-huh. It never it never has mattered to them, Ronald. I mean, you, you go back and look at the history of the United States, whether it's whether it was slave owners, whether it was the uh, the, the, the big companies, uh, you know, the Ludlow massacre uh, going out, you know, with with uh, with Gatling guns and killing the families of striking miners, uh, you know, whether it was uh, uh, hiring Pinkerton to to beat up and in many cases kill striking workers in in you know all across the country but particularly from michigan to the east coast uh you know the 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 wealthy and powerful business interests in this country from the founding of this republic have never cared about the working class it's just that simple and you know should they start now i mean they they talk about the working class all the time because they need their votes and and that's why Trump is out there going, yeah, we're going to give a tax cut to the middle class. And they're, you know, Breitbart running articles about how, yeah, you're going to get four to nine thousand dollars, you know. And, but none of that is true. This is a tax cut for billionaires and very wealthy people, particularly doing away with the ATM uh, or AMT, rather, the alternative minimum tax. And 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 it's a tax increase on the lowest income workers in America, you know, raising the bottom tax rate from 10 to 12 percent. That's a tax increase. Cutting the top tax rate from 39 down to 35 percent, that's a tax cut for the rich. How anybody can't figure that out blows my mind. But you're, you know, spot on, Ronald. This is the way it's always been. And this is the way it's going to continue to be. And this is why people need to organize. Why we need a right to unionize. It's, it's why Taft-Hartley, as Harry Truman pointed out on this program a couple days ago, Taft-Hartley was a disaster. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And in 1948, Harry Truman calling for Taft-Hartley to be repealed. I'm still calling for Taft-Hartley. We'll be back. What Troy and uh, Louise and I like about Harry's is their amazingly high-quality shave. It's smooth and close, just how a shave should be. And Harry's passes savings along to you by selling directly over the Internet. No more frustrating drugstore trips. Harry's knows some of you guys might be skeptical of trying out a new razor brand. So instead of just telling you, Harry's wants to prove that you'll love their stuff with their free trial. They made this special free trial with everything you'd need to evaluate Harry's. It's customizable. You can try it for free. It's a $13 value. Someone from the Harry's team will even check in and see how your trial is going. It's 100% risk-free guaranteed. You can even call and cancel or get a refund whenever you want. So why not give Harry's a shot and judge for yourself? Head over to harrys.com slash tom, T-H-O-M, to get it now. Get started with your Harry's free trial offer today. All you'll cover is just a few bucks in shipping. You get your free trial set, including the handle, blade, shave gel, and travel blade cover. Go to harrys.com. It's harrys with an S dot com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's harrys.com slash Tom. Don't wait. Get started with Harry's today. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. The wall of shame I shared with you, the rates of people with health insurance, by the way, uh, without health insurance, just for the first time since since 2014, when Obamacare was passed, the rates of uninsured Americans have been continuously declining, right? The number of people who don't have health insurance has been continuously declining. 
The Republicans failed to renew funding for the Children's Health Insurance Program, which insures 9 million children. The Republicans cut the funding for the programs that help people sign up for, for Obamacare, for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Trump cuts the Affordable Care Act co-payments to insurance companies, so insurance companies start jacking up their rates, you know, because they're, they're going to be profitable no matter what. I mean, Trump's whole thing about, oh, I'm just trying to, I'm not going to, you know, backstop the insurance company. Uh, that's nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's, it's putting a populist spin on basically the, 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 the same old ripoff. And now we find that the uninsured rate since the beginning of this year has gone up 1.4%. 1.4%. And, you know, what that means is thousands of people who are going to be sick or die early or just die as a consequence of Republican policies. These are real people. This isn't just a percent, you know, 1.4%. Okay. 1.4% more uninsured people. I, I'm not sure how many thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people that is. But if it's more than one person or if it's even one person, it's not a good thing. Wayne in Chicago. Hey, Wayne, what's on your mind today? Hey, thank you, Tom. Um, yes, I want to talk about what you're talking about right now, and in particular, John McCain. Uh, four weeks ago today is when he uh, decided not to vote for the Graham-Cassidy bill. Now, he said, I cannot in good conscience vote for this bill because they made it impossible for me to get a full picture of how the bill would affect my constituents. Okay, he voted for this new bill last night, so he knows how this bill is going to affect his constituents now. Right. And then four weeks ago, he said, without a full CBO score, which they don't have now, Tom, right. he said, without a full CBO score, we can't know how it will affect premiums. We know how it's going to jack the premiums up, and he knows it too. He says, uh, we don't know how much it will cost. He knows it's going to cost more. Then he says, uh, we don't know how many people it will help or hurt. So he knows it's going to hurt a lot of people. Actually, Tom, over $100 billion per year cut from Medicaid, uh, almost $50 billion a year cut from Medicare. So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people dying probably per year. Okay, yeah. probably per year. Well, I would say tens of thousands because yeah. Harvard estimated that before the Affordable Care Act, we were losing between 40 and 45,000 Americans every year uh, for lack of, of health insurance. And the, right. that number was down into the 20,000 or so last year as a result of the Affordable Care Act. And that 20,000 is only a thing, it's only a number, because so many red states have refused to expand Medicaid. And so a lot of working class and, and working poor people still don't have access to health insurance. Back to you, Wayne. Yeah, um, another reason why he didn't vote for the uh, Graham-Cassidy bill he said, um, I might consider the legislation of Graham Cassidy if we would have had extensive hearings and debates and amendments. Right. They didn't have any of those three for this bill. They rammed this bill through just like they tried to ram Ca uh, Graham Cassidy through, but he still voted for it. And let me say this. When Graham Cassidy came up four weeks ago, that's the exact time that John McCain's doctors gave him a bad prognosis on his brain cancer. Right. So something must have changed between then and now. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I think I think what's going on here, Wayne, if, you, if you're if you're talking about why why did John McCain vote yes on this budget bill yesterday? 
Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, I think it's it's that the the paymasters for the Republican Party want their want their uh, their investment, uh, their return on investment. They invested in these Republicans. They have invested billions of dollars over the over the last couple of decades in buying the Republican Party and buying Republican politicians. And obviously there was not a single Republican who had the courage yesterday to say no in the U.S. Senate to this. And so they're, they're perfectly willing to cut Medicare, to cut Medicaid, to cut education funds, to cut you know whatever it takes in order to provide that space for a trillion and a half dollars in tax cuts for, for billionaires and multimillionaires. They have to do this. They have no choice. These people own them, in my humble opinion. His time was was at hand. Yeah. But now I guess he feels a little better, like his time is not at hand. So he was ready to do the right thing four weeks ago because he thought his time was at hand. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. So now something must have changed. Maybe he found a cure or maybe something happened. And Miss Susan uh, Collins, she voted against it last time. Now she flipped too. So it's going to be a whole lot of people dying, Tom. That's, That's a fact. I agree with you, Wayne. I agree with you. By the way, did you hear somebody shout it out to you yesterday on the on the program? No, I didn't hear it on your program. Yeah, somebody called in and they they said, you know, I want to hear more of Wayne from Chicago. So, oh, I didn't hear that. You got I'm a sorry, fan out there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Wayne. Whoever did that, thanks a lot. There you go. Okay, I got to move along, okay. Wayne. Thanks a lot for the call, though. It's great to hear from you, and thanks for listening to WCPT. Charles in Clinton, Montana. Hey, Charles, we got a minute to the top of the hour. What's up? Yeah, hello, Tom. This is uh, Charles. I've got I've got a quick question. I'm kind of changing the subject on you. Okay. Um, the I used to watch your show, The Big Picture, on RT, and mm-hmm. and I appreciated that because you had uh, voices from across the spectrum. And I figure, you know, you can't fly if you don't have both wings. And so I'm expecting a debate uh, from conservatives and and progressives and and try and nail down some issues. But it seemed like the progressive guests always tended to be considerate and constructive, and the and the conservatives tended to to want to change the subject and filibuster, and I'm just wondering, am I, am I misreading this? Am I biased, or, or is this really uh, something that happened? That's the actual state of politics in Washington, D.C. right now, Charles. And, and yeah, when I used to do that TV show, uh, every night we would have a debate. We'd have a conservative and a progressive on. And, and on Wednesdays, it was me and two conservatives. And uh, I don't disagree with your characterization. I think, by and large, conservatives are, are trying to stop progress, and the progressives are trying to promote progress, trying to move our country forward. Charles, thanks a lot for the call. So we've established that the Republicans just voted, the Republican senators, 51 Republican senators, voted last night to strip a trillion dollars out of Medicaid, $473 billion out of Medicare, and to take that roughly $1.5 trillion that they're doing away with in federal spending for Medicare and Medicaid, and use that money, that $1.5 trillion, to cut the taxes on wealthy people and big corporations. Now, is any Republican willing to tell the truth about this? Oddly enough, Bob Corker, Little Bob Corker, as, as Donald Trump likes to call him, actually spoke out. He's not running for re-election. He's got a sudden fit of truth-telling. It's like watching the movie Bullworth all over again. 
So Bob Corker, who voted for this bill, by the way, last night, said, and I quote, this is the biggest hoax cast upon the American people ever that this budget process even exists. The only thing about this that matters is in preparation for tax reform. Now, what does that mean when a, when a, when a leading Republican, when one of the most powerful Republicans in the United States Senate says that not only is this a hoax, but the only thing about this that matters is in preparation for tax reform. Well, they did two things, basically. Number one, they raised the debt ceiling. And number two, they cut Medicare and Medicaid. Both of those things make it a whole lot easier to cut taxes on rich people and not worry about the consequences on our national deficit and debt because, hey, we just raised the debt ceiling. These are the guys who, whenever there's a Democrat in the White House, are hysterical about the debt ceiling, right? They start quoting Pete Peterson like there's just no tomorrow. Pete Peterson, of course, the Wall Street billionaire who has funded the Peterson Institute, which has been telling us for years and years and years that Social Security is a, is a, a crazy half-baked Ponzi scheme that's going to go broke anyway, and we might as well just privatize it. And, uh, and, but mostly, they freak out about the national debt over at the Peterson Institute. I mean, you know, yeah, they're, they're also all about privatizing Social Security. So, and there's, there's two reasons why these guys, these Wall Street billionaires, are promoting the idea that's, that, that Social Security is insolvent and going to die, and promoting the idea that, that our national debt is somehow going to destroy the country and that national debts are the same as household debts, which they're not, by the way. You and I don't print our own money. So our being in debt is a very different thing than our government, which does print its own money, being in debt. The U.S. government has the ability to wipe out its own debt in one day if it chooses to. Now, it wouldn't be a good thing. The one time we did wipe out our national debt was during the administration of Andrew Jackson, and it produced the longest and deepest depression in the history of the United States. So we've had that experiment, right? And we've done that. So the reason why these banksters historically have been so hysterical about, you know, saying Social Security is a Ponzi scheme, bloody blah, it's going to go down in flames, and the national debt is going to destroy America, is because those are two areas where over a trillion dollars is involved that is running through our government rather than running through Wall Street banks. And the banks want that money. Right now, if you're sitting on $100,000 in retirement funds, let's say, just to pull a number out of the air, and you know, one that's probably fairly consistent with a lot of Americans in their, in their 50s and 60s, if you're sitting on 100, 100 grand in your retirement funds, and you want to be absolutely certain that that money is, in, is invested in the safest possible venue. You buy U.S. Treasuries. I've, my call screen software came up uh, okay. So uh, everything, I think, with our call screening is working now. So if you want to call in, feel free. So, but back to my point. The, if, if you want to put your money in something that's totally safe, you buy Treasuries. Or you, or you, you can buy a Treasury uh, ETF, you know, a TLT, for example. Uh, although usually that's more for speculating in the direction treasuries are going to go. You just buy the treasuries. And what you're doing is you're, you're loaning money to the U.S. government 
And the U.S. government in exchange for that gives you an IOU. That's the Treasury bill. And when it's when it's due, you know, when it, it when it matures at two years, three years, five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever, uh, then the government pays you interest on it. Very simple process, and the interest is by and large, you know, tax free. So, why do these guys care about this? Well, because that that is competition with Wall Street. How dare the federal government provide a safe investment vehicle, a, a safe place where people can store their money? We, the bankers of Wall Street, want to be the only place where people can put their money. Right? We, the kings of the stock market, want to be the only place people can put their money. They can only do it through Charles Schwab or Fidelity or what, you know, all, whatever these groups are. Uh, they can only put the money in our banks. The Social Security Trust Fund is $2.7 trillion. The banksters are looking at that going, hey, how come that $2.7 trillion isn't sitting in Citibank or Bank of America or Wells Fargo? And we can make some serious bucks off this. Of course, the Social Security money is invested in treasuries. Surprise, surprise. The safest place to invest your money. So anyhow, the bottom line on all this is that we are being scammed by the Republican Party. There is no crisis with Social Security. Social Security Trust Fund is going to fall short. Uh, the, the trust fund itself was designed to go away, by the way. It was, it was just to deal with that 10, 15, 20-year period where the boomers are all retiring and aging out. That's the, it literally did not exist before 1983, the, the trust fund. It exists now as a way to pre-fund the, the retirement of baby boomers. And, and the banksters, you know, I mean, they're going to continue to try to convince millennials that there's not going to be Social Security here for you, so it'll be easier for them politically to cut it. But it's a lie. Social Security has never missed a payment. And if you just raise the cap on Social Security payments from the current 100 and whatever it is, 114,000, 124,000, whatever it is, up to, say, infinity, no matter how much money you make, you're going to pay part of it into Social Security. Then Social Security not only becomes solvent instantly, but it becomes solvent forever. Forever. Now, this is not, you know, highly sophisticated math. This is not a, a situation that takes a, you know, a master's degree in mathematics to figure out. This is simple. It's straightforward. And, and it's, you know, but it's also political. So the Republicans are doing the dance of agreeing with the banksters that Social Security should be administered by Wells Fargo and Medicare and Medicaid shouldn't be there at, at all and that the national debt should be administered by Bank of America rather than, rather than the uh, federal treasury. And they can continue promoting this because this is what their big donors will give them money for. But they're terrible policies for the United States. Social Security is an incredibly successful program. And, and having a national debt where you and I can invest our, our savings is a good thing for the country. And we've seen this over and over, and not just our country, countries all over the world. We've seen this repeated you know, and, and verified over and over and over again. So don't buy the, the, the stuff they're trying to shovel at you about how, you know, Social Security is in a crisis. It's not. 
our national debt is a crisis. It's not. Although the Republicans who are on, on one side of their mouth are screaming, national debt, horrible crisis. On the other side of their mouth yesterday, you know, just voted to raise our national debt by $1.5 trillion. So much for consistency, the hobgoblin of a tiny mind. Welcome back. John Harmon here with you. Tony in Stafford, Virginia. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, uh, it's about the uh, that Social Security mm-hmm. and Medicare cuts. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Um, well, th- have you ever Googled who owns the United States debt? And you'll see some websites like... Uh, um, you know, Daily Coast and all that. But they give you a list of who owns the debt, and the biggest holder of T-bills is Social Security right. with $2.8 trillion. Right, that's the Social Security Trust Fund. Yeah, but, uh, you know, every time they have a, a surplus, they buy T-bills with it. That's correct. That's what, and, they're supposed uh, to do. That's what the law requires with, uh, them to do. Medicare, and if you look at it, the uh, retirees in this country owns a third of the debt because a lot of your funds are in there. Yep. Yeah, uh, that was my point, you know, uh, Tony, that that if you wanted to, if you wipe out the national debt, you're forcing people to put their savings with banks and banks can rip you off. Banks can wipe you out. This is something everybody learned in 1932 when every bank in America failed the week before Franklin Roosevelt was inaugurated as president. In fact, it's why they modified the Constitution. They amended the Constitution so that the president would be sworn into office on January 20th instead of March 3rd, which is what the Constitution originally mandated, uh, because they had to wait so long to get FDR that the Republican incompetence just of those months from January to March was so brutal on the American people that the American people said, you know, no. You know, so that's, that's what changed. But Tony, excellent point. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, Janie in Round Rock, Texas. Hey, Janie, what's on your mind today? Hello. Um, thinking about the uh, birth control and the um, deliberate barriers that are being fought to to be in place, um, I think we need to also consider the aspect of that, that um, it actually promotes single parents and deprived children, because um, I think it's a way to encourage the fathers to be irresponsible. The refusal of birth control devalues women, and it devalues the resultant children. And it's kind of a laissez-faire encouragement to the fathers that they don't really have anything socially that is strong to reinforce their parental responsibilities. And the women then would have, they have no say um, except for the browbeating mantras from the husbands or the relationship boyfriends um, bullying them that you're my wife, you're my partner, you know, um, give me my marital rights. Uh, and if you don't, I'll go outside, I'll go find other people. Uh, you know, I mean, it, this is a real, 
aspect, and um, it also causes a great deal of social ills uh, that um, maybe we don't associate directly with this kind of issue uh, for all of the problems for single parents, low economy, deprived children, etc. I agree, Janie. And, and, and in fact, if you go back to the thing that made the Freakonomics guys famous back, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, was their analysis of the impact of Roe v. Wade that when Roe v. Wade legalized abortion in the United States, our crime rate was kind of at an all-time high, particularly by adolescents and, and people in their 20s, crimes committed by, uh, by young people, essentially. And that, that collapsed over a 20, 25, 30-year period. Crime went way down, and they mm. concluded that one piece of this, now a piece of it appears to be lead and gasoline as well, but, but the one piece of this was that unwanted children were not being brought into the world because abortion was available to women who had a pregnancy that they didn't want. And, and as a result of that, if you have fewer children who come into the world unwanted, you're going to have fewer children who are likely to be abused, fewer children who are likely to be neglected, fewer children who are likely as a consequence of that abuse or neglect to end up as criminals. So yeah, spot on. Janie well said, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Angelo in New Orleans, Louisiana. Hey, Angelo, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Professor. Uh, it's a pleasure to have uh, be able to speak to you again. Um, Thank you. Being a, a life, being a lifelong resident of New Orleans, I would tend to object to Katrina being a, a worse than what's happening in Puerto Rico. I really feel what's happening in Puerto Rico is a genocide. Okay, we had our neighbors in, during Katrina which emptied their freezers out because we didn't have electricity. We barbecued uh, redfish, speckled trout, shrimp, all kinds of things. We had the Marines dropping us water, okay? We had help. I'm really, really embarrassed and ashamed at our country that we're allowing our citizens to be killed, uh, to die in hospitals, people that were on life support died. It's a record. It happened. And this is being done by an administration that flew the governor to Washington, D.C. yesterday only to tell about how wonderful the president of the United States is doing. That last segment you had in the break about the religious thing, it really, it really, uh, at the, it, I, I'm astounded by the things that come out of you that, I mean, my God, you are a blessed uh, uh, part of our existence. And please, please keep up your good work. Well, God thank bless you. you. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. Uh, thank Bye. you, too. Yeah, and I agree with all your sentiments. So I guess not much comment necessary. Jim in Naples, Texas. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. I found you uh, on an AM radio in the early 2000s. And uh, was amazed, amazed that there was a voice out there that talked like I felt, and I just want to thank you for that. And, well, thank you, Jim. Uh, they, they, somebody bought up the AM radio and uh, played oldies, and so I went and got me a satellite radio, and now I have a smartphone, got your podcast, so I don't miss much of you. That's great. Uh, thank you, Jim. What, uh, what I really called about was we were, we took a vacation to uh, Japan to see our son and our new uh, grandson, and we took a side trip to uh, Beijing and uh, took some tours with a local guide. 
one morning we went to uh, Tiananmen Square, and I told the young lady that was uh, our guide, I said, I'd, I'd really like to see where the protester uh, stood in front of the tank. And she told me that they didn't know where that was. They'd never seen a picture of it. Uh, it wasn't taught in their school. The only way they really knew about it was from foreign visitors. And, right. uh, you know, it, it just made me to be more... Uh, more happy to live in a country where we could we could stand or kneel for our national anthem as we felt. Well, China just last week or to the week before last made it a crime to fail to stand and honor the Chinese national anthem. Yes, I heard you say that on uh, on your uh, broadcast. Apparently, they're watching the same Fox broadcasts that Trump <laughs> watches every morning. By the way, Media Matters just finally busted him. I mean, they they just went through the lineup of topics on. Fox and Friends in the morning, and they tracked Trump's tweets and Trump TiVo's things. So sometimes there's a 10, 15, 20-minute delay. Uh, but without exception, every topic that Fox and Friends talked about, Trump tweeted about. This was day before yesterday. You can see it over at MediaMatters.org. It's pretty astonishing. So basically what's happening is every morning Trump gets up and live tweets Fox and Friends. And that's the president of the United States. I mean, this is, this is how bizarre it's gotten. Jim, thanks for the call. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story with us. It's a fascinating story about China. Thank you. Michael in Gerberville, Garberville, California. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Well, uh, I really appreciate you bringing up all these problems that we need to hear about. But one of the main um, obstacles in solving these problems is our national value system and often our personal value system. It is property first then the economy, then people, then community, and last, the environment. Well, that's totally inverted. I mean, we can do without the way property is and the way the economy is, but we cannot do without an environment that supports human culture. Right. I just wanted to bring up that most of Yeah, our, our national priorities have to... ...is underlined by that. Yeah, well said. And our national priorities really have to shift as the... as the physical reality around us changes. You know, 200 years ago, the environment was not a big deal because there was still plenty of exploitable environment out there, and we were just beginning to, to burn through it, you know, to take down forests and kill off grasslands and slaughter the buffalo and whatnot. Now the environment, now that we've got 7 billion people on the planet, back then there were fewer than 1 billion, uh, now the environment is a big issue, and you're absolutely right. It should be at the top of the list. The Constitution basically puts property at the top of the list. And, and commerce. And again, what we've seen the, the downside of that is that, that then you end up with basically oligarchy. You've got, you end up with the people who control commerce and who control, control large amounts of money controlling the political system of the country. So I agree with you. I, I, Michael, I think it's very, very well said that we need a, a, a statement of national and personal values and we need to update our laws to reflect that. Michael, thank you very much for the call. We will be back with more of your calls and the news of the day. And So, mysterious ambush in Niger sparks firestorm of questions. The headline over at uh, Think Progress, Senate Armed Services Committee Chairman John McCain is among those saying, what the hell happened? He said, that's why we're called the Senate Armed Services Committee. It's because we have oversight of our military, so we deserve to have all the information. 
But when he didn't get all the information, McCain said, well, maybe this is going to require a subpoena. It was on October 4th. At the conclusion of one joint patrol, a team of 12 U.S. soldiers found themselves surrounded by 40 or 50 militants. And uh, three were killed right there, and one was found, his body was found two days later, some, some distance. That was Mr. Johnson. And uh, while the bodies of Black, Wright, and Jeremiah Johnson were soon discovered, LaDavid Johnson's body was not found for another two days. And uh, this, of course, coinciding with the chat with the government of Chad pulling their soldiers out of Niger, apparently in response to Donald Trump putting Chad on the Muslim ban list. And apparently he did that because they didn't get their paperwork in on time. So our one ally in North Central Africa who is fighting Al-Qaeda, Chad, just turned into our, well, not our adversary, but they just quit playing. They said, that's it. We're bringing our soldiers home. End of discussion. This is a major screw-up on the part of the Trump administration. A major screw-up that led to the death of four American soldiers and the destruction of America's reputation all over the, all over the world. Will they be held accountable? Thanks so much for being with us this week. It's been a fascinating week. I'm, I'm guessing it will be next week, too. Uh, tomorrow night, I'll be in New York City. Uh, check out the, this, uh, it's called Discord is the name of the, of the play that I'll be at. It's at the Cherry Lane Theater. Thomas, uh, the Gospel According to Thomas Jefferson, Charles Dickens, and Count Leo Tolstoy. And don't forget, democracy requires you. Tag your it. Get out there, get active. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.